tell you what all I'm feeling in my heart, in my spirit. There is a very extremely rich presence of God that is here and has been here. And uh, again, I regret I wasn't here for all of it, but I'm going to... I'm going to get the tapes and I'm going to take my time. I'll never be able to recapture what's here. That's impossible to do with the tape. But uh, just what I'm feeling is so very, very rich. Appreciate the invitation to be here. I'm with extremely good friends of mine that I, some I've known for many years. Some I'm getting to know. And uh, I think it's beautiful what the Lord is doing here and across this nation and he's tying together good men he really is he's just he's just tying us all up together and uh, we need each other more than we ever did it's good to be here with one of the three best friends that I have on the face of the earth I have three young men that I consider three of my best friends on earth and one of those three is with me it's my youngest son Larry he is one of my best friends on earth and it's so good that uh, he could come with me I try to take turns taking uh, when I go out if it's not inconvenient where I'm going to to take one of my boys with me and uh, I get to find out all over again why they drive their mother so crazy. Praise God. And uh, uh, it's good to be with them. Boy, I'm enjoying this. And we'll give you one little old tidbit. In the book of Hebrews where it says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. That uh, word literally in the Greek, the very first meaning of that word is bluntness. You can look it up for yourself. He said, cast not away therefore your bluntness, boldness, which hath great recompense of reward. And I'm going to tell you something that made the apostolic movement what it is. It was not our singing. And it was not our worship. There are other groups that can sing. Every bit is pretty. And there's other groups that lift their hands in worship. The number one thing that has set us apart and blessed our singing and our worship tremendously is the apostolic ministry. The Bible said of Jesus, they were astonished at his doctrine because he spake as one having authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees. That's the difference and has always been the difference. When people came into our churches, they, boy, they liked the worship, they liked the singing, but honey, they understood the preaching. And for many of them, it was the first time in their life they'd ever been in a church where they really understood what the man was saying. And, and, and there is great recompense of reward. Don't cast away your bluntness. Doesn't mean you be mean, but people have to understand what it is you're saying. And uh, a clear sound on that trumpet. Amen. And not sowing mixed seed. The, the standard goes hand in hand with a trumpet. It's a powerful, powerful combination that nothing in the world can ever, ever uh, duplicate. Amen. Well, 
we've been hearing a clear sound around here. I, I hope what I have to say today is a blessing. This is the first time I have ever preached this. Now there's many things I will be saying that I've said before. But a couple of weeks ago, uh, had a, uh, Brother Keith Clark was preaching for us. And I prayed that night before service and I said, God, feed your people and do your work tonight. I said, but would you please somewhere in the course of this message, give me a word, talk to me. I, I want to hear from you. And Brother Davis, I, I'm going to tell you something. I can't even tell. I don't even know what Brother Clark preached that night. I know the text he used and where he started. He was about 10 minutes into his message. And my friend, Jesus, started talking to me. And boy, I mean, every time I'd come up for air, air Brother Clark would say something that, that, that just went perfect. And, and I was gone again. I'm sorry I did it to him, but I wasn't sure enjoying myself. And... Um, and, and I'm almost, I'm going to tell you something, I'm just speaking in my heart, I'm almost afraid to preach this today, and I'm going to tell you why. If we're not careful, sometimes God talks to us with a message that once we preach it, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, it just goes in the file. Yeah. And it's another message we preach. I don't want that. I don't want that. And I certainly don't want it with this. What I'm about to preach to you, I'm not telling you I have arrived. I am not. I have not. I've not attained unto this. I may think I have, but I haven't. I haven't. Um, but I want what I'm about to preach. I want it desperately. And, and I know the men here... And the saints of God here, I believe we'll, we'll want this. I really do. And so, uh, God wants to help us. You know, some of these guys are going around the country having, quote, liberating services. Or the liberating churches, amen, from what they call our traditions. While they themselves are the servants of corruption. Amen. And they promise them liberty. And people end up in triple bondage and never dreamed of the pollutions of this world. But I do feel in the spirit that God would like to do some real liberating of our hearts and minds and souls. And um, this has helped me. I'm going to preach it, but I don't want to lose it. I want it to become part of me in every sense of the word. Well... In um, 1 Samuel chapter 17, I want to begin reading in verse 22. Very, very familiar portion of the word of the Lord. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words and David heard them and all the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were sore afraid and the men of Israel said have you seen this man that has come up surely to defile or defy Israel 
is he come up and it shall be that the man who killeth him the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make him make his father's house free in Israel and David spake unto the men that stood by him saying what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God and the people answered him after this manner saying so shall it be done to the man that killeth him and Eliab his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the man and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said why camest thou down hither and with whom hast thou though and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle and David said what have I now done is there not a cause what have I now done is there not a cause could we pray together and ask that the Lord would be with us God we love you we're asking you to touch us God bless you, you may be I love you, Lord. I want to, uh, I'm going to tell you the title. Not that titles are so important, but sometimes to make a good nail, you can hang your hat on. And um, a reference point to go back. I want to preach to us today about being set free from what's in it for me being set free from what's in it for me uh, in the scriptures that I've read to you it is extremely familiar portion of the word of the Lord the youngest among us has heard about David and Goliath if they've never read it they've heard it those of the world that are uh, foreigners and strangers from the promises of God know the story of David and Goliath and uh, they may not know all about it and certainly may not know where to find it but they've heard of it we've read it and God knows it's been brought to us in many occasions many ways different uh, shapes and forms as God would direct it a couple of things I'd like to point out to you about this as we start going into it is um, that day when David arrived bringing the cakes of raisins and the cheeses and the bread and the wine from his father's house down to his brethren that were supposedly engaged in a battle when he arrived he found a a People, he found an army that was representative of a nation that was representative of God 
in a very paralyzed state of affairs. And they had been utterly immobile, they had been utterly paralyzed for 40 days and for 40 nights. They had been on their side of the slope and for that amount of time, apparently several times during any given day, Goliath, that giant would arise and would challenge them and say, look, let's just settle it this way. You send me a man and whoever is the victor will be the ruling people. And when they saw his height and his stature and heard him beller uh, across the valley, it just had a paralyzing effect on them from King Saul on down. And Saul was no runt himself. He stood head and shoulders among, uh, uh, among the men of his army, but he was no comparison physically for Goliath. And so this man with his, with his ungodly challenge had absolutely paralyzed the people and their nation as a result was paralyzed. And so out of the fields coming from a sheepfold was a boy. Now there's different guesstimates as to how old David was at this time. I would say he was uh, no more than 17 years of age uh, based on the um, events of his life. If, if he was, I don't, I don't see how he really could have been older than 17 maximum at this time in his life. And if I were to ask the 17 year old men of this church to stand, you would really realize how young that is. That's young age, that is a very tender age. And we know in our society it's a very, very vulnerable age. And yet this, this boy, this stripling came and uh, uh, when he saw how paralyzed his army was, he came down to deliver and to see the battle and, and, and to witness and, and uh, uh, what was going on for the kingdom. And, and he was in shock because when Goliath stood and, and began to uh, defy as he did, the, the men began to run. They would run and hide behind trees and get behind the rocks and, and it was as if David was left alone. He, he could not believe the state of affairs and, 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 and he said, what's the deal here? What is going on? And so somebody said, boy, I'm going to tell you something. He said, the old boy that brings him down, he has come to defy Israel. And the old boy that brings him down, he is going to receive great riches. And furthermore, not only is he going to receive great riches, but King Saul is going to give his daughter to him as wife. And thirdly, the one that brings him down is uh, his father's house is going to be free in Israel. Which, whatever else that meant, it meant obviously no taxes 
and whatever servitude would be called upon to uh, uh, do in the kingdom they would be released from anything that would cost them and uh, they, they were going to be a, a free house and free from obligations financial obligations maybe past debts uh, political uh, strings would be loosed on and on and on riches the king's son-in-law and his family's free and and David was already shocked by the audacity of the giant and he was no doubt shocked by the fearfulness of of his comrades and now he heard this and I want you to notice his answer he said what shall be done to the man that brings him down surely he didn't come up here to defy Israel David took it a step further he went back to the root of where it really was he came to defy the armies of the living God you may think he's just bringing shame on Israel I'm here to tell you he's bringing shame to God and David was blown away brother Copeland his mind was blown away he thought what have we come to have we become so degraded a people have we lost our sight so bad are we so directionless are we so out of it are we become foreign to the God of the universe to the place that to get somebody to do the will of God you gotta put a big giant price tag on it he was as shocked amen at the booty and the bounty that would be done for the service of God as he was Goliath and as he was the fear of his army he said what shall be done to the man that brings down this uncircumcised Philistine so the man repeated it I'm telling you he's going to marry the king's daughter he's going to be very rich and his family is going to be free well this this was a new outlook you know sometimes we can get in such a fog that uh, something pristine and pure and powerful almost takes us back because we're so used to dealing in shadows and, and, and seeing things through dark glasses that, that it's not clear and David's attitude was such an unbelievable breath of fresh air that I mean everybody just wow I, I never even thought about that I just thought it was a good thing marry the king's daughter and, and, and get rich and have your family free so I, I don't know and this is the reason that his older brother Eliab got so hot because see he was one of them that had been hiding behind the tree too and when his brother is talking out of such an innocent heart such a, an unfettered heart such a clean heart Eliab was no doubt condemned and, and convicted and, and so he did the age old thing uh, if you don't like the message, honey, let's, let's tear up the messenger. 
And for a minute, he got he got a little touch of Saul's mentality. Amen. When when David didn't show up at the banquet, old Saul in his corrupt mind said, Surely he is unclean. Surely he is unclean. Yeah. Can I tell you something? Folks that run from the will of God and the ways of God and the truth of God and the spirit of God, they have a hard time believing that anybody else can ever really live it. Amen. And part of the contents of that little nutty book that's going around, amen, is this. Nobody lives it, so why even preach it? Can I tell you? There are people that still preach it and there are people that still live it. Amen. Be unclean if you want to, honey. But there's a people that are going to live for God. And sometimes people have a hard time believing, amen, that people really don't watch television in their motel rooms and they really don't go to the shows and they really don't watch Hollywood and they really don't own a video. There are people left that love our God. Hallelujah. And so Eliab, condemned, amen, by the cleanness and the purity, amen, and the selflessness of David's message, he said, I know you and the pride of your heart. I know you and the naughtiness of your heart. You just come down here to see the battle. Age-old modus operandi. If you have a trouble with the message, tear up the messenger. Accuse him. Read. Read false motives into his agenda. They just want to start a new movement. They just want to do their own thing. They're just wanting to be independent. They're just wanting to do this. They're just, do you ever think they just want to get together and love God, preach the truth? Amen, like we all used to. Is it too far to comprehend that somebody somewhere, amen, really wants to do the will of God and draw nigh to the king and get some crystalline, pure, clear direction? Well, let him think what he wants to think. He said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? I'm going to tell you something so awesome about David. They were all so bound. They were all so fearful. The only thing that even began to tempt anybody to do the will of God was huge awards. I mean, if I can get a yeah, big enough plaque, big enough trophy, big enough this, big enough that, if enough people know that I'm the one that did it, I might be tempted to do what needs to be done. I mean, the only thing that even caused them to maybe consider was the rewards. And, and when David stood out and said, rewards? My God, that's a Philistine over there. He's making a bunch of monkeys out of us and the God of Israel. You mean we've stooped and you've got to have rewards to do the will of God? I can't believe it. 
And boy, they were in shock on that day. Nobody had the liberty that David had. Nobody had the audacity that David had. Nobody had the freedom that David had. Nobody had the faith that David had. Nobody had the touch like David had. He was set totally free to do the will of God. And I want to propose to you the reason he was totally free to do the will of God was because he was totally free from what's in it for me. And we're never really ever going to be totally free until we're totally free from what's in it for me. Somewhere we got to get a revelation. Is there not a cause? 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 Is there not a kingdom? Is there not a God? Does he not have a will? Is there not a purpose? I was put here for a reason. Somebody, someplace, somewhere, we've got to do the will of God, irregardless of paydays and quitting times and anything else. And until we're really free of all of that, we're not really free. We're not really free. I think we're going to be utterly appalled and astounded at Judgment Day. Let me tell you something. Judgment Day, we're just given a few scriptures about the great white throne and people to the left and people to the right kings and princes and all that have lived about what is gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. Let me tell you, if I'm anywhere close to the mark, Judgment Day by itself is going to be so revelatory that it's going to blow our minds. In Judgment Day, among other things, when we see how many times and to what great extent the work of God has been crippled and misguided by selfish motives and hidden agendas but judgment is going to bring it all to light and when we see how many times the work of God in cities in churches in states in districts in nations has been crippled because of people with ideas of what's in it for me And it's all going to be brought out in judgment. I'm telling you, all the way, all the way from people looking after parking lots, cleaning up papers, working in ladies groups, to the top. We're going to be shocked. 
Number one, how many hidden agendas were really there? And how little was done compared to what could have been done and should have been done. And when we see how much was done, was done for what's in it for me. I have not attained. I'm telling you before God, I have not attained. But I'm telling you before God, I want to. I want it so bad. I want it so bad. I want it to be that all of my pastoring, all of my preaching, all of my ministering, whatever I do, I want to do what is the very best without any regard. I want to do what's the very best for God, for His church, for the individual I'm dealing with, if that's the case, without any regard whatsoever, whether they're saved or lost, to my needs, or my ego, or my livelihood, or my acceptance, or the most subtle and catchy and dangerous of all, my apparent success. I want to be free from all of that. From all of that. Is there not a cause that's bigger than all of us put together? That's more important, that's more pristine, pure. And if we can be set free from what's in it for me, I'm going to tell you something. We'll get a load off of us. We'll get a load off of us. We'll get a burn off of us. Because all of the paydays and the rewards and the pats in the back and the acclaim and success or lack thereof or any of that business, it's left totally to God. Totally to Him. And David went out there with a sling and he paid a visit to the brook and he had five smooth stones. I've heard a lot of preaching about what those five smooth stones mean. One said it means J-E-S-U-S. The only problem is in Hebrew it's seven to fourteen letters to say that. I got a revelation one day on what those five smooth stones meant. They meant one dead giant. And the reason he got more than one is if I don't get him the first time, honey, I'm coming at you the second time. And if I don't get you the second time, I'm coming back at you the third time. And if I don't hit it that time, I'm coming fourth and five. And if that don't work, I know where the brook is. And I'm going to get some more. But you're not going to sit there and wag your tongue somewhere, honey. You're coming down. It's going to be over for you. Hallelujah. I'm not stopping until that which defies the armies of the living God is brought to a halt and a stop. 
and he didn't need to marry the king's daughter he didn't need great riches he didn't need his father's house free he didn't need any of it and it's a good thing he didn't need it because if he'd have waited for Saul to give it he'd have waited a long long time and that's why folks that work for that kind of stuff end up bitter and disappointed nobody paid me right nobody honored me right nobody patted me on the back nobody gave me any glory honey you're bound up how about doing it for God hallelujah that end up bitter like that it's because they're looking for the rewards from the wrong places and you'll always be disappointed if your motives are wrong because the souls of this world and the souls of this kingdom don't ever pay off because they got it in their mind what's in it for me he even offered the reward not because he cared about Goliath he thought, well, I ain't about to go out there become cannon fodder for this place. I know, I'll come across real generous-like. But he had a hidden agenda, and he used the same thing, love for his daughter, to try and kill David when the time came. That's right. That's right. But David said, in his heart, no doubt, I wasn't in it for that anyway. Right. I'm not looking for king's daughters and great riches and my father's house free. There's a cause. Supersede that junk. That's tinsel. That's dime store jewelry, honey. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about glory. We're talking about God. We're talking about his name. And God said, well, when I pay you back, I'm going to do better than that. I'll do better. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make you a producer of king's daughters. Because I'm going to make you king. I'm going to do better than great riches. I'm going to fix you up where you can put a million talents of silver and a hundred thousands of talents of gold into the work of God for the building of the temple. That's just some pocket change you're going to have for the kingdom. And because you did it for the right cause, your father's house free. I'll make you king of the whole nation. When you do it for God's bidding and you leave the rewards to Him. Whew, too many people are so busy making deals with God. He went into the marketplace the third hour and the ninth hour and the tenth hour and he said in the third hour, what you boys doing? He said, ah, we're just hanging around. Nobody's hired us. And the Bible says they agreed. Everybody say agreed. They agreed to work for a penny that day. They struck a bargain. And so the ninth hour, he did the sixth hour. And the ninth hour, he did the same. And at the eleventh hour, and they had just a little bit of time left, he, he went to some men. He said, why are you in the marketplace? They said, no man's hired us. He said, you go to my field and you work. And uh, I don't want to make no bargain, but whatever's right, I'll pay you. Good enough for me. I don't need to sign on the dotted line. I don't need a contract. Good enough for me. I'll just work for you and you pay me what's right. So when it come time to start giving out the paydays, 
he gave them third hour workers a penny a day's wages and they looked at it yep that's my bargain he paid off and the next one he gave him a day's wages and the next one he gave him a day's wages and that old boy standing around they'd only worked one hour he said I like you here's the day's wages and these old boys over here had a fit they said whoa we worked all day and he said yeah but you made me sign a contract you'd been better off to say pay me whatever's right I'll work for you we better be careful what arrangements we make with God and there's far too much of this business God I'll do this if you do thus and so because I'm going to tell you something, you're cutting yourself short. Leave it to God. Amen. we got to be careful why we do what we do. Amen. If, if, if uh, I tell our folks, uh, we have, I've been there nine years. We've never had a big contest where we've pitted folks, you know. I'm not saying not to do that. I'm just, but I, uh, I did do a deal a few times where whoever brings the most visitors, you're going to get a weekend trip up somewhere. But then I do always say this: Don't forget now. If the only reason you do that is to go to Carmel for a weekend, if that's the only reason you're working for God, enjoy your trip because verily, verily, I say unto you, you have your reward. If the only reason you work for God is to win that chicken dinner on Sunday, verily, verily, lick your fingers because you have your reward. Amen. If what we do is say, God, I'm just going to do it because there's a cause. There's a kingdom. There's a work needs to be done. I want to do the work of God, irregardless of rewards. And God said, honey, I'll pay you back and that right early and that right. Hallelujah. We get too bound up with what's in it for me. Now sometimes, go to uh, Leviticus 10. Sometimes it is so blatant. And uh, before you go there, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Sometimes it's so blatant that it can't be missed. I'm going to give you a case in point. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, we read about two boys. We'll start reading verse 12. Excuse me. Yeah, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli. The sons of Eli. Were sons of Belial. They were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. They did not know God. They were the priest's sons. Read. And the priest's custom and with priest. the people was This was their custom of the people That when any man offered sacrifice When a man would bring the sacrifice to the Lord The priest servants came While the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook Of three teeth in his hand And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot All that the flesh hook brought up the priest took for himself so they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Now, obviously, uh, what was taking place, 
when they'd bring the sacrifice and they would kill it and they'd put it on the altar, the only sacrifice that was supposed to be burnt completely was the one on the Day of Atonement. That was the burnt offering. That was the only one that they burnt totally, completely. Can I, can I throw something in here? Just, do you really mean it? I can take my time. Well, I'll preach as long as I stick with it. On the burnt offering, that burnt offering on the Day of Atonement went two places. One up into the smoke, went up into heaven, and then the grate. They had to wait until the last chunk fell through the grate. And then everybody could go home. And the top of the brazen altar in between the horns, the Hebrew word there means Mount of God. And the bottom of the brazen altar where the ashes fell and the fire was, the Hebrew word for that, and I got it written in front of my Bible, it means bowels of the earth. And so on the Day of Atonement, everyone would have to wait until the last bit of smoke ascended into heaven and the last chunk of meat fell through the grate and fell down. And so they developed through the years what they put one of the priests in a vantage point where he could behold and all had to stay in their places and in their stations. And when the last bit had ended up into heaven and the last bit had fallen to the grate into the bowels of the earth and the sacrifice had come down from the mount of God, the priest would blow a trumpet and then he would scream, it is finished! And then everybody would go home. And that's why Jesus, when the last prayer ascended into heaven and his body was fixing to go to the bowels of the earth, he said, it is finished! he gave up the ghost. Every other offering, after it was offering, offered, they would take it, and it would be burnt, but they weren't supposed to eat the blood, so they'd take it and they'd put it in a pot. It was a seething pot, and that would mainly boil what was left of it. And the problem is that Hophni and Phinehas, they didn't always want it like that. Well, they could go get their own bullock and cook it any way they wanted to. That wasn't all they had to eat. But they decided, no, we're going to take this the way we want it. And so before it was finished, they'd grab it in, they'd start taking it. And the men that had brought the sacrifice, the people, they'd say, please don't. This is my sacrifice. I want everything to be done right. Read. Also, before they burnt the fat... The priest servants came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh he of gonna have boiled flesh, but raw. He's going to get it and cook it the way he wants it. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, no. but thou wilt give it me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Can I tell you something? Do you know why this society and this nation are so utterly turned off of religion? Because they've been inundated with the attitude that's been portrayed by the televangelist of what's in it for me. 
they've seen it all taken amen and under the guise of man we got in a cause here and a need there and a need there and it's going and they've seen and they know as it's been exposed across the media of this nation amen they had the mentality of what's in it for me so that now people abhor the sacrifice and I wish I could stand and tell you today that we're free of all that we got too many Johnny-come-latelys and sunshine boys. It's obvious by their demeanor. It's obvious the way they carry themselves. It's obvious the way they live. It's obvious, amen, that the church can be going to pot. But honey, they're going to have the best thing going on wheels. Amen. And as one old boy said, when I said, man, we're having a hard, hard time. He said, look, let me tell you something. He said, I come first. And the church next. Oh God. My Lord. That's not right. And that boy wondered why his world crashed on his head. Can I tell you something? Put God first. Put God first. Put the things of God first. Hallelujah. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to do what's right. I want to please you. I'm not worried about paydays. You take care of that, God. And God has a way of taking care of all the rest. Of all the rest. Of all the rest. Hallelujah, hallelujah. They abhorred the sacrifice. That was so obvious. Those men were so selfish. You go on a few more verses, amen, and their selfishness progressed to the place, amen, that the Bible says they were laying with women at the door of the tabernacle. Can I tell you something? Immorality, 95% of the time, is based on one word, selfishness. You can wrap it up, cut it up any way you want to do it and say, well, but you don't know what they went through and this and that. Friend, did you ever think of God? Did you ever think about what you owe Him? This what's in it for me business is a trap that you let it run its full hilt. It'll not only impair you, it'll not only cripple you, it'll take you to the lowest hell and it'll drag everybody it can with it. Amen. We cannot be more effective for God. Amen. Or be as effective as God wants us to be until we leave it all with Him. I'm just going to do the will of God. If the church never grows, I'm going to do the will of God. If the church never, if I never get a claim, if nobody ever knows my name, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do the will of God. It doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do the will of God. I'm going to leave all that in the hands of God. A man can't have anything except to be given to him from God. And if it's not given from God, I don't want it anyway. Hallelujah. Sometimes in Leviticus 10, it's easy to see, but sometimes it's harder to discern. The attitudes become so submerged. Start reading in verse 1. 
and Nadab and Abihu, Nadab and Abihu, the sons, sons of Aaron, Aaron, took either of them his censer. Sounds good. They took and, the censer and put fire therein. Put fire. Sounds and, good. And put incense thereon. Put incense. All scripture to me. And offered strange fire before the Lord, now, which I'm he commanded asked, them not. I've asked uh, a uh, rabbi, what was the strange fire? What was it exactly those boys did that was wrong? That God did what? And there went out from the Lord, there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. Now they got the censers, they put in the incense, they lit the fire, they were in the sanctuary. To the average bypasser, they just say, hmm, they're in there offering sacrifice to God. Hard to hard to discern what it was. Another one is just that simply uh, God didn't command them to do that. It was not based in a ceremony. It wasn't based in a sacrifice. Another and it goes on down in scripture seems to bear out that those little boys have probably been drinking a little bit. And he's in there doing their thing. But all it says is they offered something God didn't command them. I don't know what their motives were. But I do know this, their motives were not God's motives. And that was enough for God. Their motives, and the God we serve knows the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There is not anything but what it's naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's why David said, God, you desire truth in the inward parts. Whatever the reason, their motives were not God's motives. And they paid dearly for their folly. Whatever else that speaks, God, I do want my motives to be your motives. And then in Jeremiah 17, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Can I tell you something? This is a whole lot easier it is to preach than it is to really get it worked into the warp and woof of your spirit. Because we, David said, in my best estate, I'm altogether vanity. If God doesn't help us, and God doesn't shine the light on us, and God doesn't show us, and God can't see real sincerity coming out of a heart in the midst of a lot of confusion, and we don't even know what we're made out of. If God can't see that, He can't work with us. But if somewhere we can say, God, I know I'm a mess, but I am sincere, and I do want to please you, and I do want to do what's right. Honey, He loves it. He loves it. And He says, I'll lead you. I'll help you. I'll help you in spite of yourself. Amen. Sometimes you got to get to the place there's so much working and warring on you. And I tell this, I've told this many a time to young men in our church. I said, I'll tell you what you do when you're being torn like that. I said, do you know what's right? He said, I believe I do. I said, then start walking up and down the aisles of this church. Get in here when there's nobody around and you start praying what you know is right. And you say, God, you hear what's coming out of my mouth. What's coming out of my mouth is what I want you to listen to. Forget what my flesh is telling me. Forget what my spirit's telling me. God, this is what I want from you. I want to be right. I want to do right. Keep me. 
And I said, you keep your mouth working correctly and you order your steps aright and you walk in the house of God and you tell God, amen, and God will look upon it and see it. And he'll keep you till your brains get unscrambled. I don't even know if that makes sense, but hallelujah to God. Anyway. Amen. We got to be set free from what's in it for me. Sometimes it gets real subtle. Now there's so many verses. Go to Numbers 22. That it, it gets, I, I can't go through all of it. But it gets real tricky. There was a man by the name of Balaam. You talk about a study. Balaam was such a man of renown that it went down into the uh, Jewish Talmud that, that next to Moses, Balaam was the greatest prophet the world's ever known. I don't believe that. But I do want to cause you to think about this. When the sons of, or when the, the princes of Balak came and they said, there's a people come up across the land and we want you to curse them. You mark this down. Balaam said, well, Lodge, you here this night, and I'll tell you in the morning what God tells me. Well, I wish I could say that. That's right. Stick around, I'll tell you in the morning what God's got to say. Because I'm going to tell you something. There's many times I want God to talk to me on a certain night, and He didn't talk. And what this man said was no empty boast. He come out the next morning with a message from God. Said they're blessed, they ain't, they're not going to be cursed. But he said it this way. He never told him all that. He said, "God won't let me go." And they left and they went their way. When they went their way, they probably told Balak, "You didn't offer him enough money. All you offered was prestige and honor and a place in my court." But Balaam was saying, if he gave me half of his house, uh, if, he, if he gave me a house full of gold and silver, said I, I couldn't do anything more or less than what God tells me. Sounded good, didn't it? They came back, greater princes with more honor. Now they're talking gold and silver. He said, Lodge, you here this night, I'm going to tell you what more the Lord would say. And I, we, we won't take time to go all through Balaam, but I'm going to tell you something about Balaam. Balaam wanted to do he wanted the rewards of unrighteousness. He wanted the money and the prestige that Balak had to offer. He wanted it. He was caught up with what's in it for me. He said, I have spent long enough time on this hillside. Amen. Me and my donkey. It's time to get some awards. It's time for some rewards. It's time for a house of silver and gold. I've never had an opportunity like this before. So I'll figure out a way. If you go to the book of Jude, it talks about the error of Balaam. When you go to the book of Revelation, it talks about the doctrine of Balaam. Can I tell you something? Balaam erred in his heart, and it took him a while to formulate his doctrine. And I'm going to tell you where a lot of these squirrely doctrines are coming from, Brother Davis. They're coming, they're being formed from errors that are already in people's hearts. They erred in their heart or in their morals or in their spirit and then they got the new doctrine to go match their morals. So he was erring in his heart. And uh, 
the angel said or the Lord said don't go unless they bid you but Balaam didn't even wait for those men to bid him he got up in the morning and saddled his ass and he was ready to head out probably for them guys got up and was rubbing their eyes and as he was going on his way there was something wrong with him there was something working on him and I want you to notice this he was erring in his heart because he was trying to figure out and finagle away how can I get the most out of this how can I get the most mileage how can I get the most acclaim how can I get the most money and so he's on the donkey and he's going his way the Bible said in a field and the angel of the Lord stood in the way of the donkey and, and, the, and it turned out of the way and he started beating on it and said, Let's get back over here. They went down a little further and the Bible said there was two walls. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the donkey and, and, and it crushed his foot against one of the walls. Apparently there's still room to turn around and he was trying to do it and, and, and boy, he beat it again. The third time he got in such a narrow place the Bible said he couldn't turn around. It's amazing to me when people start getting messed up. He talks to them way out when there's plenty of room to turn around. Man, there's a lot of room to repent still. There's a lot of time. You can, you can get right. You can get right. Hey, man, he did. You can get right now. But they keep pressing on. No, I'm going to do my thing. I got something lodged in my heart and lodged in my mind. And I'm going to do it. Amen. And so then it gets a little narrow. They can still turn around. Amen. But they're going to be hurt in the process. But it's still worth it to turn around. But you keep pressing on in your willful, selfish, iniquitous way. And you'll get yourself to a place. It's too late to turn around. And that's where a lot of guys are today. It's too late to turn around. And I'm going to tell you something. We're wasting a lot of precious time with people trying to get them to turn around. It's too late. You're better off going find somebody new and say, hey, you want to live it? You want to live it? You want to live it? Let them go. And this time, when that Balaam, when that ass fell down, Balaam was kicking it, beating it, and it started talking to him. I mean, you'd think that'd make you stop and pay attention. He said, whoa, whoa! Man, I'm not an ass upon whom I was ridden all these years. Was I ever want to treat you this way before? No, but if I had a sword, I'd kill you. You know why he was so mad? that donkey you know why he was so mad because he was mad at himself because he knew he wasn't right and that's why you can see individuals they become so angry they rail on each other they rail on churches they rail on the ministry they rail on any any governmental they rail on everything amen they're ready to tear it all down and really in their spirit, what they're saying is, if I had a sword, I'd kill you for trying to stop me on my way. They're not mad at that donkey, friend. They're mad at themselves. They know they're blowing it. They know they're going the way. Their error is carrying them. 
We need to be set free from what's in it for me. I'm telling you, it's a dead-end street. It's a killer. It's a bloodsucker. Hallelujah. Lord, if we can go through this life and make you happy, and make you happy, and make you happy, forget paydays, forget rewards, forget success, forget honor. If it comes, fine. If it doesn't, fine. I just want to do the will of God. So he got out there, and he still talked a good line. That's why some of these guys can talk a good line for so long. And uh, he said, I told you, Balak, that, and he brought it up again. I, I, I can't say no more or less than God gives me for a house full of gold and silver. Just to lodge it in his mind. And uh, he already knew the will of God. But he said, I'll tell you what, get you seven bullocks up on this hillside. Get you seven altars. Get seven of the finest bullocks. And the Bible said he also used enchantments. Some form of witchcraft. I don't know what it is. Do you want to know what witchcraft is? Witchcraft, it says in Galatians, is a work of the flesh. And you may not be ready for this or believe it or not. Witchcraft involves forcing your will over the will of God. And in the process, trying to bring somebody under your personal thumb. That's why he said rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And so, he set up and he did his enchantments. And he stood. And he saw the tabernacle. And he saw the tribes. And true artist as he was, just like the most alcoholic, degenerate, literal artist, when you put him in front of a canvas and the paint and the brush, something comes out. Some of the greatest writers America's ever had have been dissipated alcoholics, wretches. The greatest American mind in literature I think we ever had was Edgar Allan Poe. His last dying words was, God, have mercy on my wretched soul. But you put a piece of paper in front of him, and the man was an artist. So it is. These can stand. And we wonder sometimes, where does that anointing come from? I saw a man, used to pastor not too far from here. I went to see him in Los Angeles about three years ago, Brother Davis. He was preaching a charismatic meeting. He was a shadow of his former self. He stood up like a stumble bum for about 45 minutes in front of this called Earthshaker Convention. There's 150 people there. We sat in the back and after he made fun of us for our holiness, mocked us, he got up, he was smiling. He saw us. He said, I see the spectators are here. He said, You think we look funny? You look funny. Boy, it come out. It was venomous. I leaned over to my buddy with me. I said, I don't think he likes us. 
Then he went back and for 45 minutes he was like a stumble bum in the spirit. It was pathetic. I used to think about his oratory and his preaching ability and I watched him. But all of a sudden as he stood there, amen, it was pitiful. I watched him and he went like that. And honey, he started preaching. He started preaching a oneness message bringing up baptism in Jesus' name and things that used to happen when he was under the spigot and it was on him. And it was awesome. I thought the spirit that was on Balaam is on that man right now. And when he got done, he went back to what he was. And he told a friend of mine, he said, according to what I used to preach, I am today a reprobate. And he said, I guess I am. But all I know is I'm doing what I gotta do. You know what was wrong with him all through the years? Everything he did, what's in it for me? All of his moves, even his holiness preaching, he had a hidden agenda. What about doing the will of God just because it needs to be done? So Balaam, he stood and it hit him. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. And he went on, God is going to bless you. And then he closed it up saying, Oh, let me die the death of the righteous and let my latter end be like his. And I believe he meant it to the depths of his tormented, wretched soul. And then he shook himself and he went back. And he's mad. And Balak's mad. He said, build it over here. Offer seven bullocks and his enchantments. And he did it again. And he did it again. And he couldn't get God to curse. Numbers 24. He couldn't get God to curse. And so he gave his last utterance. Now I want you to catch this. Numbers 24, read verse 4. He hath said. He hath said. Now, up at the top of that chapter, start with verse 1, just to... And when Balaam saw... And when Balaam saw... You mean after all this time, that's the first time he could see? And when Balaam saw... That it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. That God was going to bless... He told him that from the beginning. He Re went not as at other times to seek for enchantments but he set his face toward the wilderness and Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes and the spirit of God came upon him my 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 God will use a donkey and in Philippians Paul said you know what there's some guys that preach out of strife hoping to increase my bonds. He said, but you know what? Let him preach. As long as Christ is preached. We better check our motives. Because if we're not careful, at best, we're building out of wood, hay, or stubble. 
We need delivered from what's in it for me. I really want to please you. Read on. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor. Balaam the son of Beor. Hath said, and the man whose eyes are open. My said, eyes are open, he hath said. He hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. Brother Garrett, I want you to read that again. And those words that are italicized, we know they were put in by the King James translators to try and help us understand. Sometimes they helped, sometimes they hindered. This is one of the latter. They didn't help out the clause. I want you to read it without the italics. He hath said, He hath said, which heard the words of God, which heard the word of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty, saw the vision of the Almighty, falling, falling, but having his eyes open. Balaam said, I have fallen with my eyes wide open. He knew what he was doing all the time. And he finally realized his enchantments and his witchcraft wasn't doing any good. God was still going to be God. And God was going to bless his people whether he liked it or not. And he fell with his eyes wide open. When you can say what I used to be, preach, according to that, I'm a reprobate, and I probably am today. You have fallen with your eyes wide open. What's in it for me is the dead end street. Go to Philippians 2. It's a bottomless pit. God, help us to get a deep revelation. Live, die, sink, or swim. It doesn't matter what the Sunday school board says. It doesn't matter if the name never shows up anywhere. It doesn't matter. What matters is when I laid down my head and it's all over, I want it to be said, let him alone. He has done what he could. That's all I want to know. God, just let me do what I can. Let me be the blessing that I can. You called me. You blessed me. Make me a blessing. That's all I want. Hallelujah. We get under so much stuff. We carry around. What are people going to think? What are the congregation? What are they going to... Oh, if I don't just hit the certain... Forget it. Forget it. Help us to please you. That's all. Philippians chapter 2. Begin reading in verse 19. Listen to this. But I trust in the Lord Jesus. Paul writing to that church, he said, I trust in the Lord Jesus. To send Timotheus. I'm going to send Timothy. Shortly unto you. Shortly unto you. That I also may be of good comfort. That I may be of good comfort. When I know your state. When I know how you're doing. He wrote this from a prison cell. He said, you know what will make the walls better around here? You know what will take care of this damp floor? You know what will take care of this lumpy, vermin-infested bed? When I hear the church of God is doing good. When I know your estate, I'm not in this for myself. God will take care of all that. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. He's going to take care of me. He said, but I'll be of good comfort when I know how you're doing. 
I'll be glad because I get to send Timothy. Why, Timothy? Read. For I have no man. I have no man. Like-minded. Like Timothy. I've got nobody with the kind of mind he's got. Who will naturally care for your state. Who will naturally care for your estate. For all seek their own. Because so many, seems like all sometimes, seek their own. They're in it for what they can get out of it. They're in it for their own payday and quitting time. All seek their own, but not my boy Timothy. It's his second nature just to care for the church. That's his love. That's his care. That's his burden. It's how's the church doing? What's their estate? It doesn't matter how I'm doing. God, how's your people doing? You take care, you'll take care of me. Help me to take care of them. Read. Not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him. You know the proof of my boy Timothy. That as a son with the father. He is like a son with his father. He hath served me in the gospel. He has served me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently. So soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Go to 2 Corinthians. Ain't nobody like Timothy. He cares about the church. He loves the church. He served with me like a son in the gospel. How did Paul serve in the gospel? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Read verse 14 and 15. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you. This is the way Paul looked at it. This is the third time I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome unto you. I'm not going to be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours. I don't seek what you have. But you. I seek you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents. But the parents for the children. Can I tell you something? This does not take away. Paul said, hey, you live by the, you preach the gospel, you live by the gospel. You've been sown unto you spiritual things. It's nothing to give to that man of God carnal things, material things. He said, this is the way it is. But Paul never got caught up in that. He always understood, and every good preacher knows, it's not you paying him. It's God. It's God. It's God. I've just recently, either helped by verbal exhortation, personal, preaching, or prayer, helped between 35 and 40 people find a new place to go somewhere. I didn't enjoy doing it. I don't wake up every morning saying, boy, who can I run off today? Who can I pray out? Who can I preach at? I didn't do that. But I did say, God, this is your church. This is your church. And there's some spots on the Feast of Charity that feed themselves without fear. And they don't love you and they don't love holiness. I told one girl, I said, I'm going to tell you something. Here's your problem, miss. I said, you love the church. You love the saints. You love the music. You love the singing. You even like my preaching. You like everything about this church except Jesus. 
You like it all, but you don't like God. That's why you don't live what it says for you to do. The Word. That's why you don't. But you like to hang around because you like all of it but Him. Go find another place. We're going to stand and count before God one of these days. Man, that's going to be an interesting day. It's going to be an interesting day. Read verse 17 and 18. Did I make gain of you? He said, did I make gain of you? By any of them whom I sent unto you, I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? You know what he was saying? We're set free from what's in it for me. Doesn't matter. We're going to do the will of God regardless. That's liberty. That's freedom. I'm telling you, God wants us to be set free. I got, I got more notes than I know what to do with. Uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do go to Isaiah chapter one in the book of Daniel. Oh, Nebi had a dream. He called in all his soothsayers, his wizards, his astrologers, the enchanters. He said, I've had one mean dream, and I've got a lot of gifts, and I've got a lot of rewards, and I'm going to pass out to the one that can give me the interpretation. And I want you to know all of them said, here I am. Speak on, O king. I mean, they're ready. Man, they're ready to get that interpretation. He said, now... Here's the problem. He said, for the life of me, I can't remember the dream. <laughs> Surely you jest. I ain't jesting. Come on, there ain't nobody can do that. Except unless the God's with him. God ain't here. <laughs> He said, I knew you turkeys. He said, you're biding the time. See, they were interested in the gifts of the Spirit because of the gifts that they'd get for it. A lot of times, we better check our motives out. We really want to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. Then let's forget paydays and rewards and quitting time. Because, honey, it's going to cost you far more and it's going to bless you. <laughs> you really get to using them, honey. You ain't going to be asked to go to a lot of places. It's one thing to tell somebody the reason their sewer's plugged up, and it's another reason to tell them why their soul's plugged up. I mean, but everybody's ready for this. And old Nebby, he said, I'm sick of all of you. He said, this time tomorrow, there ain't going to be one alive 
Daniel said, there's still a God. There's still people that are not interested in the king's meat. They're not interested in the, in the king's blessings. They just want to do the will of God. Give me a night to seek the God of heaven. And later when Nebi was dead and gone, and his wretched grandson was on the throne, and he was having his drunken debauched party, amen, and they brought out the vessels of the temple, and they were having themselves a time, taking the things that were meant for holiness, and using them in his drunken... I'm seeing people taking holy things, precious things, dear things, and mock them, and laugh at them. One woman said, all that Pentecostal junk, oh God, I would not be in that woman's shoes for nothing. You start calling the holiness of God junk, you're in bad trouble. So here's old, old Belshazzar, and he's having him a time. Man, he's got the he's got the, the vessels of holiness and he's using them for debauched means. And about the time he looks on the wall and a hand appears and writes, Mene, Mene, take all you farson, and his knees are knocking. And the party's over. And you mark it down one of these days, the party's over. And he says, is there, is, there, is, there, is there a wise man anywhere on the face of this earth can interpret it? And his wife said, you know, there's an old boy, amen, that had the spirit of the holy gods in him. Pitiful, pitiful. But, and said, he used to be able to talk to your grandfather about the things of God. I suggest you go find him. What's his name? Daniel. So he brings Daniel in. And he says, man, I got gold and I got silver. I'm going to make you third ruler of the kingdom. You tell me what it says. Daniel said point number one and you get this straight sir keep your gifts and your rewards for another I'm not in this for that business but I'll be glad to tell you the will of God Mene your kingdom is numbered it's weighed in the balance Mene take all your farson this night it's over Bubba and that night the king died Daniel went to his place he wasn't interested in rewards gifts the next king come on I don't know what happened like this before hey what's that writing on the wall there I don't know nobody here can read it somebody whispers in his ear really go get him your name Daniel yes O king I like you. How about you get paid for reading that? Little red comes in his face. Sir, I just do the will of God. That's all. Boy, you're a rare bird, aren't you? I really like you. Come with me. And he 
is one of the top men in the kingdom. What happened to King Saul? He got hooked up with what's in it for me. What's in it for me? What happened to Gehazi? Followed that godly man, Elisha. He was snared with the gifts and the gold and the garments of Naaman. He said, look, boy, is it a time for houses and lands? God don't mind you having that, but that's not the time or the place. And his leprosy is going to be yours from here on out. He wasn't set free from what's in it for me. What was wrong with Judas? Why did he miss out? Because he was the treasurer. And that time that that woman broke the alabaster box and the fragrance filled the house. She was so selfless. She didn't even know what she, why she was doing what she was doing. She didn't even dream of a word of commendation from the Lord. She just felt a compunction in her spirit and she broke it and she poured it on his head and his hands and his feet. And the disciples started murmuring. They had a good speech too, boys. Slick. Said, why was not this sold and given to the poor? That sounded noble, didn't it? Real good. Somebody else picked it up. Hey, I like that. Why was this not sold and given to the poor? Hey, hey, good thought. So the disciples are murmuring among themselves. Jesus not only understood the murmuring, he knew where it come from. And he knew that old boy, he didn't care a goat's bleat about the poor. He was a thief. His hand was in the till. And his fair speech, amen, was bringing good men into bondage. And all he was interested in is, boy, I wish I could have had that alabaster box and got my hands on it. He said, this is this woman's reward. Everywhere this gospel's preached, what she hath done will be spoken of as a memorial for her. And this day, that scripture's fulfilled in your ears. And Judas, caught up in what's in it for me, snared in the bonds and the gall of bitterness, ended up a suicide. I'm almost, I am. Musician, please come. Isaiah chapter 1. Read verse 23. Thy princes are rebellious. Here's your problem, Israel. And companions of thieves. Your princes, number one, they're rebellious. Everyone loveth Number two, they're companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts. Everybody loves gifts. And followeth after reward. And everybody's following after rewards they judge not the fatherless they don't have true religion neither doth the cause of the widow and undefiled before God the Father they don't visit the widows in their affliction they don't help the fatherless and they're not keeping themselves unspotted from this world they're not following me they're following gifts and rewards Bear with me a little clemency. Isaiah 58. Please listen very close. 
You have been so patient. You really are tremendous. Thank you. Listen to this. Listen to what he wants the trumpet to say. Verse 1. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Boy, it sounds like he's fixing to really clean house. These people must be horrible. When we read, it's mind-boggling. He's about to describe a lot of churches. Read. Yet they seek me daily. Huh? That's a good point. They seek me every day. They have morning prayer meetings or whatever. And delight to know my ways. They delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness. If you didn't know any better, you would think there are people that know righteousness. And forsook not the ordinance of their God. If you didn't know any better, they're seeking and delighting. If you didn't know any better, it's almost, you wouldn't even realize they've left the ordinances of God. Let me tell you something. Seeking and delighting does not take the place of obedience. Obedience is still better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. You cannot cut your hair and still seek Him. Ladies, you can't grow it long and seek Him with the light to know His ways. I mean, you can do it, but it's not acceptable. Read on. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They want to know about justice. They take delight. They have seminars on it. They take delight in approaching to God. Boy, let's have a seminar on fasting. They take delight in approaching to God. But they've left the ordinances of God. Read. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, ye find pleasure. Even in your fasting, you have this mentality. What's in it for me? And exact all your labors. I'm going to do this, but I've got a hook in there. I'm doing it for me. Read. Behold, ye fast for strife. you got a hidden agenda. And debate. To smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for a man? Start reading verse 6. Is not this the fast that Is I have not chosen? this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness. It's not for you, it's for somebody else to loose the bands of wickedness. To undo the heavy burden. Undo somebody else's heavy burdens. And to let the oppressed go let free. Let the oppressed go free. And that you break every yoke. That you break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? It's to give you bread to the hungry. And thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. Bring the poor that are cast out. When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, that thou hide not thyself in thine own flesh. There's nothing in it for me. It's for others. It's for 
it's for others. Keep reading. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. When you get it in straight, because the eye of the Lord still goes to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking somebody whose heart is perfect towards him, that he can show himself strong in their behalf. If you'll get it right, if it gets your priorities right, if it gets your understanding right, hey man, if you'll understand there's a cause that's bigger than your agenda, then your light is going to break forth. And thine health shall spring forth speedily. Your health's coming on the way. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. Read. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear reward. Read. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. When we get our agendas just right. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. Let's stand. If Read. thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, and the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, if thou draw up thy soul to the hungry, satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light arise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. Read. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought. We'll take care of you. And make fat thy bones. God will take care of you. And thou shalt be like a watered garden. God will take care of you. And like a spring of water. God will take care of you. Whose waters fail not. Read. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Read. Thou shalt rise, raise up the foundations of many generations. Thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of paths to dwell in. Brother Davis, I want to be free from what's in it for me. And I don't think I've arrived. You know, I hope I have. I don't want this just to be another message tucked away somewhere. So I was afraid to preach it. I want to sit down and eat this. I want it to become part of me. I really want to be free from what's in it for me. Sit right there. I read this. I read it. Take it for what it's worth. I just I read it. According to the story, Pentecostal preacher, successful church, good congregation. I don't know the ins and outs, the ups and downs, who he was, what he was, or anything. I'm just telling you what I heard. Read. Sunday afternoon, he sat back in his easy chair. And he fell into a deep slumber and he had a dream. And in this dream, a, an angel appeared to him and said, Let me examine your zeal. And the preacher looked at him, and this angel reached into his bosom and pulled something out, and he brought forth a crucible. And he burned it and melted it. And then he began to pour it into a vessel that showed and broke it down into what it was. 
story the angel said 11% of what you do and what you are is based on bigotry 22% of your zeal is based on personal ambition 19% of what you do is based on love of praise 15% of what you do is based on pride of denomination 12% of what you do is based on love of authority 14% of what you do is pride of your abilities and talents 4% is love of God and 3% is love of man 93% was wood, hay, and stubble. 7% was gold, silver, and precious stones. According to the dream, the angel said, God have mercy on your wretched soul. And the man woke up. I don't know. But I've often wondered this, dear God, if you melted me down, what would you find? You melted me down what would be there I don't know for sure but I know what